Let me transition to introducing one of our very own. Thank you, Sissy. Sissy, yes, she is. This morning we have the opportunity to hear God's word through our dear sister, Reverend Michelle. She's been part of Newcomb Logan Square, but now she is with our Bronzeville uh, Sisters Church, and we trust that God will use her this morning to bring forth his truth. She's here with her husband, Carlos, and among the many caps that she wears, she's pursuing a PhD at Loyola University and with her research interest in multiracial congregation. And we trust that God will continue to keep you in your research, that he will energize you, that we find excitement in what you are writing, and we look forward to benefiting from your own uh, research work. Please welcome our dear sister, Reverend Michelle Darcy. Good morning. So um, some of you, there's still a few people who um, I know from back in the day. And you were probably confused when, she's, when he said that he, she's pursuing a, a PhD. You're like, she's still pursuing a PhD. I am. I'm still pursuing the same PhD. Yes. Okay. So will you pray for me. That's the first prayer request. You all, when you think of me, keep that in your hearts and in your minds. Um, it's so good to be with you guys this morning. Um, it's so good to be here. So I, the last time I was here, you hadn't done all of this amazingness. This looks so good. I, to come into this space, it still blows me away because, um, like, I, I helped to start this church however many years ago. We don't have to count. Um, but when we started and we were meeting in a gym and then we met down the way and, like, to come here is just such a testimony of how faithful God is. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, it's awesome. Um, I, like I said, I'm so happy to be here. And I bring you greetings from our church in Bronzeville. It was so neat to say our church's mission statement today. Uh, we don't say it anymore, but like just to hear it said, I'm like, that's right, that's right. We're, we're, we're related. We know each other, right? <laughs> so this morning, I'm going to be uh, preaching to you all um, from the book of John, and we're going to talk about unity specifically. So when, when Pastor Caitlin, uh, I asked her, you know, well, what, what should I focus on? I know that, um, that this is a, a season of transition for this congregation. I know that you all are, um, have gone through a process to try to really work out, like, who, who are we, right? What, what are, who, who, who has God called us to be? Um, and so what she said is that, that what the church needs to hear, something about authentic community, and, and what it means to, to know and to be known. That, that word, authentic community, that has been at the core of who we are. And I'm going to say we are, because I know some of y'all are like, I don't know you, but you do. I'm your sister. I'm your sister. We are, because you have a sister church on the south side of Chicago. It's been at the core of who we are from the very beginning. From the very beginning, there's been this understanding that 
one thing that the church is lacking, one thing that humanity is lacking and desiring is this, this need to be known, this need to be in relationship with other people, to feel like the person sitting next to me is my brother, to feel like the person sitting next to me is my sister, that I, this is a place where I don't have to wear a mask. I can come in here, I can be exactly as I am. Someone can ask me how I'm doing, and maybe you don't want to hear my whole life story, but I don't have to say fine. I can say, you know, it's a rough day. Could you pray for me? We have known from the beginning that this is a core desire of our hearts, but I think that when we say the word authentic community, there's a way it can get lost. And especially when you say it every Sunday, right? When it, when it becomes this thing that's one of your core values and you, it, it gets thrown out there, it can become a word that lacks meaning, a phrase that lacks clear understanding, authentic community. It implies that there's something out there that is inauthentic, right? It implies that there's another type of community. And we've probably all experienced that. So um, <laughs> our society offers many ways to feel like you are in some form of community. I spend a lot of time on YouTube. I spend too much time on YouTube. You can pray for that too as well. Um, but I spend a lot of time on YouTube and there's this one channel that I like to watch. It's exceedingly petty. Um, but I, I don't do a lot with um, popular culture. I gave up on music. So a lot of people say that's the first sign of being old. I gave up on it in the 90s. So you take... <laughs> I mean, I, um, I just, so I can't. So there's some things I just, I can't, I can't be bothered to do, but I like to know what's happening. So there's a woman who has a, a YouTube channel. She's called Lovely Tea. It's petty. So if you go look her up, don't judge me. Um, but one thing that she does that I appreciate is she kind of breaks down like what's happening and, and you know, the world out there, like popular culture. And so I'll hear these phrases, you know, like um, the beehive came from me or the Barty gang came from me. And I'm like, what is happening now? Are celebrities naming their fans? But you could feel like you're a part of a community. I'm a part of the beehive. And it can look like community because if somebody comes for that woman, Beyonce, for those of you who are like me and have no idea what a beehive is, um, if someone comes for her, the beehive will mobilize in an instant and come for them and take them down. It could feel like I'm a part of something. I sit online and I'll watch and if somebody says something about somebody I don't like, I'm there. How dare you? And there's a whole lot of other people just like me. There's a lot of ways to feel like you are a part of a community. But do you feel known? Do you feel seen? Do you have to look a certain way, be a certain way? There's a whole lot of ways to feel like you're a part of a community. You can post your things on Instagram or on Facebook or wherever you post and get tons of likes. Oh, 100 people saw my photo and liked it. Do, but what did the photo say about you really? Do they know what's going on in your life? There's a lot of ways to believe mistakenly that you are a part of a community, but that phrase, authentic community, it lets us know that we want something else. We hunger for something a little bit more meaningful, a little deeper than that. See, undergirding this phrase, authentic community, the thing that that rests on is a deep-seated desire that all of us have for unity, to be a part of something to feel like we belong, to feel like there's some folk who call us their own, to feel like we are the us and not the them, right? There's this sense that we want to be a part of something and that is good. That is a good and it is a right desire. I dare say it is a God-given desire. We were formed 
to be a part of. We know Jesus, we are a part of the body of Christ and there are ways that the world, our enemy will attack that. But we all have that desire to be a part of something. It gets manifested and sometimes in some ugly ways. I, I, I'm convinced that part of the reason why gossip is such a thing in the church is it comes out of this need to, to be a part of. I'm gonna tell you what I know because then you'll know what I know and then you'll know who I know and maybe I'm on the in, in the in group. When we, uh, back in the early days when we started the, the church, there was um, a group of people I remember who felt really wounded and hurt by the fact that they, they weren't on, um, on, in the in crowd. I, I didn't know we had an in crowd. There was news to a lot of us, but they felt like there was this group of people who were in the know and they, they wanted to be a part of that and they weren't. There's something inside of us that always wants to be a part of, and we can pursue it in some ways that end up being harmful and ugly, but I dare say it is a God-given desire. And so that's what we're going to spend some time talking about. What does it look like? What does unity in the body of Christ look like? What is that thing, that, that longing, that desire? What is it that God has put inside of each and every one of us? And why is it? And what does it look like when it is manifested in a healthy way? So our text this morning is going to come from John 17. Um, we're going to read verses, um, we, you will read silently, I will read to you, um, verses 20 through 23. And I encourage you um, to stand as you are able for the reading of, of God's word. And so um, I don't know if you all do this here, I can't remember, but when, when, when I finish reading, I'm going to say this is the word of God and it will bless my soul if everyone said, thanks be to God. Amen. See, already blessed. Okay. So beginning in verse 20, it reads, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of God. Amen. You can have a seat. So just to give a little bit of context uh, to this passage, um, so John 17, this, this, this chapter, Jesus is praying for a, a number of people, and it kind of flows in a, in a specific way. So he starts out praying um, for himself, and it's not like a, you know, you know, God, could you give me a car? I, obviously, he didn't pray that, but you know what I mean? He's not shouting requests up to God, but it's a very worshipful prayer, acknowledging who God the Father is, and who he is, and what has been accomplished thus far, and what is about to happen. And so then Jesus starts to pray for his immediate disciples. And he prays for them, um, again, this similar prayer that they would be one, that there would be this unity and that they would experience it. He knows what's about to happen. He's going to the cross. And so they are going to be the ones who are going to spread the gospel. This is how the church is going to advance. And so he's praying for them. And then he concludes this prayer with these verses where he begins to pray, not just for him, not just for his immediate disciples, but for those he knew was coming. 
because he knew they were going to be successful. Amen. The church was going to grow. And one day there would be tons, thousands, millions, billions of followers, people like you, like me, who were charged with the same commission to go out and make disciples. And so he prays for us for you, for me, that we would be one, that we would have that same unity. In John's gospel, um, this prayer comes in the same place um, that the other gospels record Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. And we're gonna come back to that, so I want you to hold on to it, but if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see um, that just before Jesus is arrested, we have the story where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he is wrestling with the Father because he don't want to, and rightly so, that was hard, and he's sitting there, and he's facing the gravity of what he's about to do, and he's asking God, could you, if you could take it, and ultimately, we know, he says, not, not my will, but yours be done, and he leaves that place in peace. Well, John doesn't give us a Gethsemane prayer. We don't see that in the Gospel of John. Instead, we have this prayer, and it comes about, about the same time before Jesus is ultimately arrested. Again, we'll come back to that, to hold on to that image and to that moment. But in this passage, we find John praying that we would be one just as the Father and the Son are one. And so what we can take from this passage is that our, um, our example, our model of what unity in the church ought to look like is unity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that's big. That should make you say, I, I don't know about that. See, that should feel rightly like an impossible thing. Like, are you telling me that unity in the church is supposed to be like unity within the Godhead? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three, one, that kind of unity? That doesn't seem like something that we could accomplish. That doesn't seem like something we can experience here. That, that seems like something that, okay, yeah, on the other side of glory, but not on this side. So let me just say, you are, you're right. <laughs> you're right. We, we recognize as people of faith that we do kind of live in a, in a middle space. We haven't been perfected. And so, yes, we are right now a part of the kingdom. And yes, we are right now one. You and I right now have been called to be a part of this one body that is unified with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is true. But also, we live in a broken and a falling world. And so we don't experience that in the way that we might want to experience it, in the way that we will experience it when Jesus comes. So you're right to say that feels too big. That feels like something we just can't accomplish. And you are right, kind of. See, I, I think that part of the reason it's so hard for us to imagine um, and, or, 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 or see ourselves in, in this kind of unity, this kind of oneness, is because we mistake unity. We mistake authentic community for absence of conflict. We mistake unity for complete consensus. Will you hear me say that unity in the church ought to look like unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are one God, right? It's easy to think, well, are you saying that we should always be of one mind, that we would always just feel like, yeah, we're just trucking along together? No, no, not so, not so much. Um, any Star Trek fans? Anybody? 
Look at that. Amen to the three other Star Trek fans here. That's okay. I'll explain my example more, more forcefully then. So in Star Trek, <laughs> there were a group called the Borg. Anybody that maybe you're like, I saw a couple episodes. I remember that. We, we think of unity in the body. We think of it like, like it's supposed to be like the Borg, right? Um, this idea that the Borg were this, um, this group, this, um, what is it, little... Collective, thank you. Collective, I have the words. It's so it's this collective, and they would go and assimilate all over the galaxy. And that looked like, hey, I'm gonna come over here now. You are all, I'm, I'm the Borg mind. You're all me, and you literally are of one mind because it's my mind. And you only act, you only do, you only speak as I do, as I think, as I speak. Now we would love to be like that with Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be awesome? But how many folk have gotten there yet? Don't raise your hand. I know no one. So, but when we think of this kind of unity, when you hear me say this is what it's supposed to look like in the church, it's easy to think that that's what I'm talking about. That we should be all over, not just in this building, but the church, you know, is not just these little C churches, it's the big church. So somehow all over the world and all our different denominations, we're going to figure out how to be of one mind. Probably not so much. And I think that we mistake this because we, we miss that there are, there are two ways that we see unity playing out within the Godhead in scripture. We think that it's this idea like if I can't get it this way, if it's not all, then it must be nothing. But that's not how God interacts with his people. I'm gonna go ahead and take it a step further and say even on the other side of glory, we won't be Borg. <laughs> there won't come a time where God says, you now will just move the way I move and you'll just say what I say because I want you to be mindless drones. That's not the way God interacts with us. In fact, I dare say that probably more than half of you could have a testimony about how you actively resisted God, not because you didn't know he loved you, not because you didn't know he was there, because you said no. Some of you all can remember a time where you actively rejected the Father, and guess what? It was okay. He lets you actively re reject him because he says, but I love you anyway and I'm coming for you. And you can also remember when you consciously decided to choose God. There are others of you who say, no, that's not my testimony. I grew up in church. I've always known that God was good and I've always felt like I loved him. But even you can remember when you consciously decided to follow him for yourself. Not just because mommy and daddy did it, but because this, you have your own relationship with him. We serve a God who says, taste and see that I am good. We serve a God who invites us to study and show ourselves approved. He doesn't hide anything from us. He's not saying, you just gotta do what I say do. He says, no, I want you to know me. Cause I know you. That's not how God interacts with us. Unity in the body, unity in the church does not and will not, I dare say, ever look like everybody who knows Jesus just we have no minds, we just follow. God wants thoughtful worshipers. He wants people who said, I, I have tasted that. <laughs> oh, but I've tasted this. And now I have seen how good is the Father's love. We mistake unity for something that it is not. We mistake unity and authentic community for consensus, for mindlessness. That is not what it is. If we take Jesus's prayer here seriously, then we ought to believe then that our model is the Godhead. So then what does it look like? 
Like I said, there are a couple ways that we see unity within the Godhead played out um, in Scripture. We see it a lot of ways, but there are two really explicit ways that I want to focus on. The first time that we see this mention of a, of, a, of a God who is triune is in Genesis, in the creation story. In Genesis chapter 1, when God says, let us make for ourselves a man. Let us make for ourselves humanity in our own image. And we, when we read this in the context of the Gospel of John, it tells us that it was the Word, it was Jesus who was there from the beginning and that all things were created through him. And so we can understand this is God having a conversation with God's self. God having a conversation with God's self. And what you don't see here is any pushback. There's no back or forth. There's not, let us make for ourselves a man in our image. Are you sure? Maybe we shouldn't make for ourselves. Because I don't know how that, you, you, you know how that's going to end. I don't think that we really, there's no back and forth. There's just, let us. And the next thing you see is, and so God created. Let us, and so God created. See, this is the unity where it's kind of like, I don't know how that's going to happen in the church. I don't think that that's how we're going to operate. There's another form of unity that we see. Remember, I talked about that Gethsemane prayer. See, if, if we take scripture seriously, if you really believe this thing, then what we know is that Jesus, the word who was there in the beginning, took on flesh and then dwelled among us. And so what I submit to you is that when Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, that is another moment where we're seeing a conversation in the Godhead. That's another space where we are seeing what it looked like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to be in conversation with each other, to still be one but three persons. And what do we see? Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane before his crucifixion was not at all that kind of let us make and then we make. It wasn't that kind of unity. The text tells us that Jesus wrestled and he prayed and he prayed so hard that he sweat blood. D just for a moment, have you ever sweat blood? And see, we can laugh at the question. It's a little funny. Like, of course, I've never sweat blood. I bet, though, that every one of us has been in a situation there where there was something before us that we dreaded, that we were deeply, maybe for us, fearful of, that we didn't want to do. I bet you can relate to the feeling of, oh, okay. But have you ever sweat blood? Jesus was so consumed by this thing. He prayed so hard. He was leaning in so deeply that he sweat blood. In the garden, Jesus wrestles with the Father. He is honest with the Father. I don't want to. This is too much. Is there any other way? There must be another way. If there's another way, could you please do it that way? I don't want to. He was honest in the garden. He wrestled in the garden. And because he was honest in the garden, because he didn't sit there and say, Okay, well, God, Father, you are, you are holy, and um, this is awesome, and no, it's good, it's good, I'm going to, 
I'm gonna die on a cross, okay, okay. No, 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 it's fine, Father, it's fine, it's fine. No, I'm good, how am I, I'm fine, I'm fine. This is all good. He, he didn't do that. He didn't stand before his father with a mask on. He sat there and he was honest. He laid himself bare. And so even Jesus, in that space and in that time, he was realigned with the heart of the Father and he walked out with peace. He walked out saying, not my will but yours be done. And it wasn't that superficial, oh, I'm good. Oh, God is good, it's good, I'm blessed, I'm highly favored. It wasn't that, it was real. It was something that couldn't be shaken. He walked out a whole, with a whole new perspective because when he was in the garden, the kind of unity that we see there is the kind of unity that we can expect in the church. He wrestled, he struggled, he was real. And so then he was transformed. And, and what I really want you to see here is that these two prayers are not in opposition to each other. Jesus struggling in the garden right before he was arrested is not in opposition with Jesus praying for unity for himself, for his disciples, for us. It's not in conflict. These things go together really well because I believe that what Jesus did there was model for us what it ought to look like for us to experience that kind of unity. He knew the task that would be set before us and so he prays that we would be one just like he and the Father are one, that we would be one just like he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, that our unity would look just like what we saw in Gethsemane. That's what we can expect on this side of glory. It's not gonna look like that. Let us make for ourselves a man, all right? And now man is made. It's gonna look like us wrestling in the garden. You and I being honest and transparent before each other. So this has some implications, right? We, we, we live in, in, a, in this country and we are part of a church that has conditioned a whole lot of people to believe that the church is about you and what you want and how you feel. And I want to say this, it doesn't mean, God cares about you and what you want and how you feel, so know that. This is what I mean. We have been conditioned to believe that we can shop for churches, and when we shop, we have a list of the things that we are looking for. I want to, I want good word, I'm really, I need, I need solid teaching, um, I really need good worship. Um, they need to have a strong youth ministry. They need to, right, you have your little list. I'm looking for a diverse church. I want a church that's active, that's involved, that's engaged. Great things. You should have a church like that. But what we do is we go and we visit and we sit and we say, oh, I like this one. Okay, I might come back a couple Sundays. I have some other churches I'm visiting. Um, but when I get back around, we'll see it. We'll, we'll figure out where we want to go. We have been conditioned to believe that the church it's just, it's about us and what we want. When we find that church, we feel like this is a, I like, did you see? And they have this beautiful new space, it's amazing. And then something happens and we don't like it and we're like, oh, you know what, I think God might be calling me somewhere else. <laughs> we have been condemned 
conditioned to believe that the church is about us. And so when conflict arises, when things happen that we don't like, that make us a little bit uncomfortable, we have been conditioned to believe that it is okay to just pack up your bags and go home. Find another one. Find something that fits you better. Something where they got it together a little bit more. I mean, it's just so disorganized. I don't know where that tone is coming from. Why that's the voice I chose to use for this. <laughs> we have been conditioned to believe that the church is just about us. And that authentic community means finding a community that makes me feel like I can be my authentic self. That authentic community in the body of Christ, that unity in the church means that I find a group of people that I'm comfortable being united to. And when I'm not comfortable anymore, well then I'll just break that and I'm gone. So hear me well. God absolutely calls men and women every day to go to different places. So if there's someone who's sitting here and saying, like, I really did feel called to leave my last church. I'm not saying that you were not called to leave your last church. But what I am saying is that if we take Jesus' example seriously, if we take his prayer seriously, if we really believe that unity in the church ought to look as much as it can on this side of, of glory as the triune God, thus being one, then when you make a decision to leave a church, it ought to be more than just you and your own quiet time or reflection involved in that decision. It means that when some things happen in a congregation that make you uncomfortable, frustrated, angry, that you don't sit there and hold that to yourself. It means that you wrestle with your brothers and your sisters, that you share those hurts, that you say, I'm frustrated, I don't like this, ah, this doesn't feel good. It means that you and I commit ourselves to being authentic with each other because we don't get to choose our family. The oneness that we experience in Christ, it's not something that we create. <laughs> you and I don't make it. You and I don't manufacture it. And so therefore, you and I don't get to go figure it out. It looks like it's right there. Yeah, that's where I'm going. That's my kind of unity. No, it's something that we are born into when we accept Jesus as our savior. And so we ought to be really, really careful about how easily and how flippant we can sometimes be about walking in and out of it, choosing who we want with or without us. The image of oneness that we see in scripture is one of Jesus being real with his father and going the distance. Those are the things we can absolutely experience on this side of glory. But it begins not with everybody else, but with each one of us. Are you willing to sweat blood for your brother and your sister? Are you willing to wrestle with? Are you willing to check yourself and allow yourself to be checked when you are wrong? Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you when you realize that, you know what, I may have gotten a little bit into some hero worship when I picked this church, or I may have been putting a little bit too much on some other things, and maybe what I'm not doing is being the me I was called to be and being real. And so maybe the reason why I'm having such a hard time right now is because I have decided not to be 
in authentic community. You and I have a deep, deep need to know and to be known. We have a deep need to be a part of. It is a God-given need because we have been created, we have been called to be a part of the body. We need to take that seriously and honor it. And so I, I want to um, conclude by praying for this congregation. Um, so I, I was, I wasn't sure whether or not to share this, so I will, I will preface this by saying, I really, I have very little idea of what has been going on, right? I know that Pastor Peter is on leave, and I know that um, you all have going, been going through your process of trying to figure out, you know, what, who we are, um, but I have just teeny tiny bits and pieces, so I'm, I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say, but I wanna make sure that, that it's very clear to everybody that I'm not, I'm not saying anything from a place of like, oh, she really know, I don't, I don't know. So if I'm wrong, <laughs> be, you feel no shame in saying that like that, no, that ain't it, that's not, that didn't fit, because I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say what I, what I feel led to say. Um, another, another danger, um, a, a, another ugly way that that need to be known and, and that need to know and that, that desire for unity, another harmful way that that can sometimes play out in, in congregations, and it, not just in congregations, it plays out this way in a lot of spaces, but in the church, it plays out in, um, in, in hero worship. I, I believe, I, I strongly believe that part of the reason we put so much weight on the, the shoulders of our pastors um, it's because, hey, look, I, 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 need to, I need to feel like you know me and I need to feel like I know you and I need to, to be, you need to cater to me. There's a lot of weight that we put on the shoulders of, of, of our pastors. And it, it can be a heavy burden to carry that, to feel like you and you alone, whether it's true or not, but to feel like you and you alone carry the success or failure of a church on your shoulders. There are a lot of churches that will die if a senior pastor leaves because the church has not been built on it, churches that had good goals and good mission statements and good purposes and where people thought they liked each other. And when, the, when he's gone, well now, well, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about these other people who've been preaching. I, it's just not for me anymore. It's a lot of weight to feel like the success or failure of a church is on your shoulders. And so I want to encourage you all, um, as you are praying for your pastor um, and as you are praying for your church, to know that when God called you here, and this I know, so I'm in the, the part where I say if you disagree, you can just leave it. You can, this, we're done with that part. So this part I know to be true. When God called you to this church, he didn't call you to this church because the preaching is so amazing, though I know it is. He didn't call you to this church because the worship is awesome. Though, brother, I know it is. He didn't call you to this church because he knew that they were moving to this amazing facility and it's gonna be so awesome. He didn't call you to this church because they got a youth ministry that's just on point. He didn't call you to this church for any of that. He called you to this church because every moment in your life, 
as God has been actively working together for the good, all things that have happened to you. Every moment of your life, as your story, your testimony has been playing out, he knew that at this time, for such a time as this, this moment right now, your story would interact with your story, would interact with her story and his story. He called you to this church to be church for each other. And so while you had awesome preaching and you have awesome worship and you have awesome all these things, you are not here for that. You are here to be the body for each other, to be Christ's hands and his feet for each other. And he desires to transform you, not just through your leaders, but through the people who you are sitting next to through the people who you go to community groups with, through the people who you serve with, you understand. And so if you are in a place where you are thinking, maybe right now, maybe this isn't where God is calling me. Well, I wanna challenge you with this. Maybe it isn't, maybe he is calling you to go somewhere else. But I dare say that he probably isn't. You, again, this is where we pick back up with, you can just dismiss it if you want. But what I will say, I wanna challenge each and every one of you where you may have been spending time trying to discern if you should stay, if you should go, what your role should be. What it, I want to encourage each one of you to spend some time asking the Holy Spirit to show you how you can better be the church to your brother and to your sister. Father, what might my role be in this new season? How might you be calling me to step into new places? How might you be calling me to be more compassionate, more loving, more understanding, more kind? How might you be calling me to step up and fill holes that I now see? How might you be calling me to open my mouth and make a contribution to this place, this direction that we're going, this path that we're walking? How might you be calling me, oh God, in this season? to be authentic to the community you have called me into. And so Father, I thank you, oh God, for what you are doing in this body. I thank you, oh God, for what you are doing in my brother's heart. I thank you for the time that he has. I thank you for the ways you are speaking to him. I thank you for the ways that you are reminding him anew of how much you love him and how amazingly and wonderfully and fearfully you have created him in your image. I thank you for this time where you are refreshing him and renewing his purpose and his sense of call and his direction. I thank you, oh God. And I ask that you continue to keep him. Continue to hold him, oh God. Continue to remove any weight that he has carried unnecessarily. Continue to shake it off in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, oh God, for how you are working in the midst of all this, in this church. And for every single person who is under the sound of my voice, God, I am asking that you would continue to reveal yourself. I thank you for the process you have taken them through and for the ways that you are refreshing and reminding them of who they have been called to be. And so we pray, I stand in agreement with every prayer that has been prayed that this church would continue to reflect the glory of God. 
that this church would continue to be a beacon of light in this place, that this church would continue to be that city within a city, that alternate Chicago that passionately loves you, oh God, that radically advances your causes and that engages in authentic community. I thank you for the ways that that is being transformed and being reimagined and being re-envisioned. And I ask that you would continue to move and work in it. And through each and every person here. You are an awesome God. Oh, you are an amazing God. You are a kind God. You are a sovereign God. You are an all-knowing and powerful God. And there is absolutely nothing that is beyond your control. And so we surrender to that, oh God. We ask you to have your way. And it's in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. 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 God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would seal it and bind it in our hearts. Come on and stand with us as we sing this song of response.
community. You don't have to pursue unity. You have been made one. We have been made one. It has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. And each and every one of us are known deeply by a God who says, I love you and would spare nothing to be in relationship with you. So go from this place with that confidence. Go into your week knowing that no one can touch you because you are loved by a holy and so you can love, you can be loving, you can be his hands and his feet to each other and to the people he puts in your path this week. Go from this place in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 